Welcome to another edition of the College Faith Podcast, sponsored by Global Scholars. This is Stan Wallace, your host, and my guest today is Scott Phelps, Executive Director of the Abstinence and Marriage Education Partnership. For many years now, Scott's spoken to students about the great long-term benefits of saving sex for marriage. And so I've invited him onto the show to share some of what he's learned and how others have found his insights helpful. Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Really, really appreciate it. Well, it's a pleasure to talk with you. I, um, I'm excited for this conversation. I think my listeners will be very interested in what you have to say. Uh, college Faith podcast is not just for college, but uh, for preparing to flourish in all of life. And you speak around the country on how saving sex for marriage helps students have a healthy future, including a healthy marriage. So uh, let's just start off by uh, hearing a little bit about how you got interested in this topic. Yeah, well, I think when you talk about flourishing and living life well, that really is at the end of the day, you know, what we're talking about. Although our topic specifically is about reserving all sexual activity for the context of marriage, at the end of the day, it's really not a message about sex. It's really about how do you live your life for the glory of God? And it just so happens Mm. that sexual temptation uh, is one of those things that tends to bring us, you know, pull us off course yeah. of following yeah. God and living our life for the glory of God. So uh, really, it's about how do you prepare well for healthy future marriage, mm-hmm. family, ministry? How can I live my life optimally and serve God well in the few moments I have on this spinning ball? And so that's really mm-hmm. what we want to help people do is to do uh, to do life well. Uh, you use two words that I'd like to hear you talk more about. You talked about the principles that are important to understand and the benefits. And so you pick which one you want to address first, uh, if there's a logical ordering there, uh, and, uh, and and tell us a little more of your thesis and what, okay. what you have concluded here. So principles, we actually, our public school program is actually called the Success Sequence Program. And the success sequence then is, that would be our principles. This would be the, the, the pathway. Uh, what researchers have uh, developed is this thing called the success sequence, which is very simply, if we can help our young people get an education, get a job, and then marry prior to having children, uh, chances are they're going to do well in life from a secular perspective. Mm. They're not going to be in poverty. They're not going to be on welfare. They're not going to be on food stamps. They're not going to be dependent on government or their parents or somebody else. They're going to be able to live life well. So we, what mm. we want to do is we want to help them get an education, get a job, and then marry before having children. Now, that's the researcher's quote-unquote success success sequence. We take it a step further because the success sequence only really says reserve childbearing for the context of marriage. We're going to go a step further and say save all sexual activity for the context of marriage because A, that's the only sure way to reserve childbearing for the context of marriage and Mm -hmm. that there are other benefits in doing so uh, besides not getting pregnant, right? So it's not just Mm -hmm. a matter of don't get pregnant until you're married. Uh, but rather reserve that very intimate expression for the context of marriage because there then there are benefits in doing so. So if I learn as a teenager, as a young college student, if I can learn respect and responsibility, self-discipline, self-control in terms of sexual relationships with people, if if with others, if I can resist sexual temptation and exercise self-control, that's going to benefit me in my marriage. I'm going to be a better husband, a better wife, a better spouse. And so what we're trying to do is teach principles that are going to be Mm -hmm. beneficial. Uh, So for example, if you take the secular message of make sure that you, you know, use birth control and carry condoms with you at all times kind of a thing, (laughs) you know, how does that then translate over into a marriage relationship? You know, uh, do you also then the way I put it is, you know, if if a uh, if a businessman is married and he's going on a business trip for a week, um, you know, should he have 
uh, sex with anybody he meets along the way, or should he reserve all sexual activity for the context of marriage? See, so in other words, it's a principle that applies before you're married and after you're married. Sure. What his wife doesn't say as he walks out the door is, Hey honey, make sure to take some condoms with you because you never know if you're going to meet somebody. <laughs> and yet that's what they're taught in high school, right? They're taught in high school right. make sure you have condoms with you because you never know you want to be prepared, be ready, know where to get your contraception. But that message doesn't carry over, see? And so sure. what we want to teach are biblical principles, helpful principles, beneficial principles that are not only going to help you prepare well for future marriage, but then once you're married, you're going to have learned things that are going to be helpful because sexual temptation doesn't only occur before you're married, but it occurs after you're married just as well. So I'm learning mm -hmm. to resist that pressure before I'm married. And I'm learning to resist that pressure after I'm married as well. All sexual activities mm -hmm. to be reserved for the context of marriage. That's true before I'm married. That's true after I'm married. It's a universal principle. It's not just that I'm teaching this to you because you're kids. You're too young to have sex. It's not that. It's that there is a context for sexual activity to occur. And that sexual in that context is called marriage. Learn it. Mm -hmm. That's really, really good. It, it makes me think of two uh, things that that I've benefited from studying and thinking about and applying in my life. And I'm wondering how uh, how it might relate. I'm seeing some connections, but I'd like to hear you say a little more. One is the um, uh, the approach to ethics called virtue ethics. You know, so many times ethics uh, gets reduced down to do this, don't do that. Yeah. But uh, the approach of virtue ethics, which actually is grounded in Aristotle and continues all through the Christian tradition also, is this idea of no be the right kind of person and if you yes. can if you can learn to be the 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 kind of person who 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 chooses the good then the decisions will be easy because you you've you've become formed in a certain way and it and then it ties into the second area which is the whole idea of spiritual formation say the work that Dallas Willard has done and others about just being in the in the um you know, in, in the gym, practicing the shot enough. So when you're in the game right. and you get the ball, you've got the, the, the muscle memory in that case to, to, to take the shot. You know, you've practiced enough offline that when you're in the tense situation, you can respond correctly. So I'm, I'm sort of hearing that a little bit with, you know, boy, learn when you're in school and you're dating to be the right kind of person and practice making the right kind of decisions, because that will then affect how you live your life when you're married. Is that, is that another way to frame it? Absolutely. In fact, sometimes we refer to it as character-based absence education. It absolutely mm. is about that. It is about developing your character, becoming that person and becoming the person that someone would want to spend their life with. Right. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and so it very much is about preparation. You know, on the other hand too, if I am, if I am sexually promiscuous prior to marriage, you know, if I if I have habituated having sexual activity with a person and then breaking it off and then having sex and then breaking it off and then have sex and then breaking it off, what am sure. I doing? I'm preparing for divorce. I, I'm really preparing mm. myself to have that intention that what is supposed to be a lifelong intimate relationship i'm mm -hmm. learning that it doesn't have to be lifelong it can be temporary and mm -hmm. so what i've really done is i've sort of um uh what's the word i'm looking for i have um become not immune to it but uh desensitized i've desensitized is a good word i've desensitized myself to the pain of breaking sure. off that intimacy you see and so i've really yep. sort of prepared myself well for divorce and so on the other hand, what we want to do is prepare them well for lifelong marriage and mm -hmm. understanding the trust that comes in a relationship when you have been faithful prior to a marriage relationship. And now, having said all that, let me quickly point out that if someone has already been sexually active as a teenager or young college student prior to marriage, let's say, uh, that doesn't uh, that doesn't uh, necessitate that their marriage isn't going to go well. What we want to mm -hmm. do is help young people understand and learn the principles that regardless of what I've done in my past, I can still make healthy decisions. We're just saying it's not something that we want to encourage in any way. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't uh, destine you to failure in the future. It doesn't help, but there are ways to mitigate against that so long as I recognize that and course correct. 
And so, you know, if I'm in a Christian environment, so for example, and I'm talking to young people and I say, now listen, you know, if, uh, if you've already been sexually active, understand that God is a God of grace and healing and forgiveness. And he wants nothing more than to take you by the hand and lead you uh, in, in a healthy relationship in the future. And uh, one of my favorite verses, Romans 8, 1 and 2, is there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the life of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and of death. And so what God wants to do is give you freedom and hope and healing and forgiveness and lead you in the right way. And I say this, if you've been sexually, be glad that you're here today. Be glad that you're hearing this. Be glad that you now see, that you now know that there is a better way and choose to walk Mm. in it. And Mm -hmm. so the message is in no way uh, shaming or uh, in any way judgmental. It's it's throwing a lifeline to someone who is floundering in the water so that they might know the beauty and the joy and the abundant life that Christ offers. Yeah. Yeah, good. Really, really good. So in our conversation here about uh, principles, we've certainly talked about benefits as well. What else might you say to uh, listeners in terms of the benefits or maybe even elaborate a bit more on those you've touched on already? Yeah. So, in fact, because I did want to finish more on that now that I think about it, when you're talking about the character and being that person and so forth. And uh, in my Excel workbook that is uh, follows the Joseph narrative in Genesis 37 through 50. One of the things that we talked about. And by the way, Excel, just for the listeners, is one of your curricula you have available online, if I'm not mistaken, that students or parents could pull down and go through. That's right. They can go to successsequence.com. Thank you. Successsequence.com is where we have our curriculum. It's a curriculum division. And we have five different curricula there. Four of them are designed for public school use. Excel is designed for Christian school or homeschool use or uh, even college students benefit from it. Uh, but it, they are designed in, and they're all biblical principle, but only Excel has the explicit uh, a walk through the biblical narrative of Genesis 37 through 50, Joseph. Okay. And what I love about it is, um, you know, one of the questions I think we have in the book there is uh, because of what Joseph went through with Potiphar's wife in resisting her sexual pressure and ending up in jail as a result of it. Mm -hmm. When Joseph then later does marry at age 30, by the way, you know, and sometimes they think, oh, you can't wait until you're 30. Well, Joseph clearly did. (laughs) And and so when he does marry at age 30, one of the things I say is, you know, when his wife learns of what he went through, do you think that will increase her? You know, is she going to worry about him? <laughs> this right. goes to your point of being right. the right person, right? Yeah. So he has demonstrated prior to marriage uh, an ability to resist pressure such that mm-hmm. his wife has all the confidence in the world and she's able to be, right? And so this is what, now, let, let me say this, what is very sad to me is sometimes when I'm speaking to youth today in public schools in particular, particularly in the inner city, uh, I find uh, almost an inability for them to comprehend uh, the trust factor. Like the idea that, that, that you could actually trust someone to be faithful to you for a lifetime is almost a inconceivable concept to them. Mm. How sad is that? That the mm-hmm. culture in which mm-hmm. that they have been raised, right. Right. In, in what they have seen, is that the idea that someone would wait and then someone would then be faithful for a lifetime is like, you're blowing my mind right now. Like, I can't even comprehend that as a possibility, let alone a reality. No categories. No categories and a disbelief. There's mm. just a disbelief. There's a genuine disbelief. Like, you're, mm-hmm. you're messing with me now. Like they, they honestly don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for example, you know, when I tell my personal story about, you know, how I waited, my wife waited, we don't ever worry about, it. I go on a business trip, she goes on a trip, we don't ever worry, we trust each other completely because we had a, a track record and so forth. And they'll just be like, how do you know? How do you know she waited? How does she know you waited? How do you know they're going to be, other than they can't believe it. And, and it's just like, Wow. Wow, the 
the cynicism and the disability to understand. Now, having said all of that, it doesn't mean they don't want it. Mm-hmm. They very much want what I'm what I'm sharing with them. But it's so far removed from everything that they've ever known. It's right. like, are you are you kidding me right now? Right. People actually do that. Like, how, how would you even get? See what I mean? Yep. And so one of the things that one of my little mantras is every day our work becomes more difficult and every day our work becomes more necessary. Right. As our culture continually goes over the falls and our kids are inundated with false and harmful secular messaging day after day. Um, the the need for clarity and guidance for our youth becomes greater and greater mm-hmm, and greater mm-hmm, every day. Mm-hmm. And so that's what drives us. That's our passion is to throw the lifeline of truth and beauty and guidance for our young people to grab hold of. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk more about that in terms of the, the media's influence, but I have dissuaded you now, uh, uh, maybe more than once from really pressing into the, all the issues you want to in terms of benefits. I did want to clarify what Excel is okay. because people will think it's a spreadsheet yes. and it's not in this context. Yes, so yes, um, yes. But say more about the benefits that uh, you wanted to make sure we really discussed in some detail. Yeah. So goodness, there's so many uh, different, different reasons. Um, well, let's just start at the very, at, at the very basic. I mean, some of them we've talked about, you're building uh, your character, right? The more I resist sexual pressure and going along with the flow of the culture, the stronger my character becomes. And it's a, um, there's almost a centrifugal force to it, right? That the more that I am faithful to do what is right, the stronger my character becomes, the more I am able to do that, to carry that out for a lifetime. By, by exercising the principles of self-discipline and self-control, I become a stronger, healthier person in my character. There's that. There's also then the, the increased quality of relationship later on in my marriage relationship. But then you can go into all the sociological benefits of why marriage is best for culture and society and for children and for what we want young people to understand is that marriage is the cornerstone of culture and that that marriage provides significant benefits for you, for your spouse, for your child. So, for example, one of the things that we show uh, students in our workbooks is that children who are raised in other family arrangements, they just have more difficulty. There's more challenges, right? There's more, um, and it's not just fatherlessness. Now, we're not just talking about children being raised in single parent homes, but just the whole, the, the, the broken family culture has with it a whole series of consequences that become difficult to overcome. Again, not that they can't be overcome, but it's it's hurdles, it's more challenges, right? And so speaking then to the benefits is if we can help students avoid those things uh, and prepare well for future marriage and family. It's going to be better for them, for their spouse, and then most especially for them to understand for their children. If they want their children, and they do, they want their children to have a good, healthy life. Those children are going to uh, benefit from a married mother and father relationship. So there's there's really a slew of benefits that that are provided by choosing to live life according to these standards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and you, I think we're alluding to it, but there's a, I think a self-image confidence sense of self that comes from having control over your impulses, right? Where you realize yeah. that uh, I'm not at the mercy of these things, much uh, contrary to what we're often told, I think. But uh, this this sense of having mastered my own self and my own appetites and desires so that I can truly live well and flourish. Sure. Yeah. There, there are benefits uh, to that self-control and self-discipline, both that, uh, that I experienced personally. And then again, in my relationship with my spouse, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. But then coming back to, I just mm-hmm. want to mention, I talked about fatherlessness and broken homes and so forth. And one of the great challenges, of course, that we face, especially if we're in a public school urban environment, is that we are going to be speaking to many students who are being raised outside of a married two-parent family. 
So how then do we talk to these students? How do we help them understand, right? And I, my, my greatest concern then is that when I'm talking to these young people uh, who I know are likely to be raised outside of a married home context, how do I teach these things without offending them, without making them feel badly? Because mm-hmm. what I'm teaching them and saying to them is so fabulous, I know they don't have. So what happens is, and one of the reasons I spend most of my time actually doing teacher training workshops, I train teachers to teach these things. Most of my um, teaching then is helping teachers overcome that hurdle because I know that most teachers are like me in that they fear offending kids. They don't want kids to feel badly. But what happens is what happens is when you have that natural fear of offense, you tend to shrink back and not say the thing that you think is going to offend. Mm -hmm. But as soon as Mm -hmm. I do that, as soon as I sort of shrink back from saying it, I begin to think to myself, now, wait a minute, is if is my not saying this going to be helping them or hurting them? And I realize that by not saying the thing is actually more hurtful than saying the thing and possibly offending. Sure. Sure. It's like the dentist not wanting to tell you you got a cavity because he doesn't want to offend you. He wants you to feel good. (laughs) So what I have to help my teachers understand is, look, not saying the thing isn't the answer. Yeah. It's saying the thing well. Right. And so so what I need to do is I need to realize that if I fail to say it, I'm actually not helping them. I'm hurting them. I need to say it. I need to say it well. So. When I teach students on the benefits of marriage and family, knowing that they don't have that, I say to them, now, listen, am I saying that someone that's raised in a single parent home, that if you're raised by just a dad or just a mom, am I saying a single mom can't be a fantastic mom? And then they will say, no, 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 of course not. Of course, I'm not saying that. In fact, most single moms are doing a fantastic job. They're heroes. They're working very hard. Mm -hmm. They're taking care. They're doing the job of two. And it's not easy. Mm -hmm. If you're living right now with a single mom or a single dad, help out around the house, do your part, take out the trash, wash the dishes, step up, help out because your mom, your dad is working really, really hard to take care of you and provide for you. You need to understand that. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying single moms can't be great moms. Most of them are. But what do you want for your future? What do you want for your life? What do you want for your children? Let's talk about that. Now they're with you. And so, and that's how I talk to kids, just like that. And they're just like, I get it. I get it. Now, here's the thing. What's beautiful to me is I was afraid of offending them. But once I've said it and said it well, they're like, oh, my goodness, could you could you say more about this? Because we never get to learn the things you're teaching us right now. We never get to hear this. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Where, Where do kids ever learn? Right. Especially inner city urban environment kids. Where do they ever learn about the beauty and the benefits of marriage and family and how to prepare well for it? Where do they learn that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and that gets to the topic of the media. I'd like to talk a little bit about that because as you've mentioned, some of your materials I reviewed, you know, it's just, it's just saturated with the alternative message yes. that, uh, that human flourishing is, uh, all about sexual relations and, uh, and uh, doing uh, whatever with whoever, whenever. And uh, so, boy, it's hard to, as a young uh, college student, trying to make his or her way to, uh, to to think about any other ways to frame life and, and the good life. So how, how do you, talk to me a little bit about that. How do you suggest students overcome that huge cultural narrative that they hear every day in every way? Yeah, I think it's the heaviest lift. You know, each of our workbooks has a chapter on media. And I tell teachers, I think this is the heaviest lift because our kids are just, they're raised in it, right? They're they're Mm -hmm. raised in a sense of virtual world now, right? They're raised in this media saturated culture and here's the thing. Uh, it's not just that our kids. So one of the things I, I ask my teachers, for example, is they say, you know, now our kids are uh, constantly involved in uh, media consumption, not just our kids. We all are. We're all taking in the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, research tells us about nine hours per day on average for kids. I think it's more than that. I think it's more like 25 hours per day. <laughs> um, Cause it's right. It's just, it's ubiquitous. And, uh, 
And then I say, is there any sexual messages or images that our kids are getting from the media? And of course they laugh. And of course it's all about that. Right. But I said, but it's not just that. It's not just that our kids are being exposed to sexual messages and images and increasingly explicit. It's not just they're being exposed to explicit sexual messages and imagery on a regular daily, hourly basis. But think about this. Of all the sex that our kids are exposed to, how much of that communicates to them sex within the context of marriage Mm -hmm. as a good and healthy thing? Right. How much of it communicates sex within marriage at all, regardless of good and healthy? How much connection is there even between sex and marriage in what they're getting from the media? And the answer is it's not, it's nowhere. It's just nowhere. It's just body parts. And so there's no context to understand sexual activity mm-hmm. and sexual expression and intimacy and true love within the context of a marriage relationship. It's not there because that would be weird. That's the one thing you can't show on TV is married people having sex because that would be weird. <laughs> and so what you end up with is all the aberrant forms of sexual activity, all the sexual deviancy. And so that's then what they begin to assimilate as normative. And that I think is the great challenge. And so what I love about our messaging is, is that it is so directly and clearly contradictory to the cultural messages that they're getting. We don't try to sync up with what they're seeing. We want to contradict it at every point. Do you see the difference? Mm-hmm. So, so sex education programs, which are our nemesis, we think sex education programs are harmful to our youth. Um, we don't want to sync up with that. We want to contradict that very clearly. Um, it's the diamond on the black velvet, right? We want the contrast. The contrast is, is our friend. It's our benefit. So I'm not going to shy away from our message in full strength, undiluted in any way. What we're teaching you is not to wait until you're older, not to wait until you're in love, not to wait until you're in a long-term committed mutually monogamous relationship. We're not saying any of that nonsense. What we're saying is reserving all sexual activity for the context of marriage and marriage alone is the safest, healthiest, best option available to you objectively, indisputably, inarguably. And we just want to lay it out as clearly as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. And when we lay it out as clearly as we possibly can, it becomes a a sharp contrast that they can see. Oh, my goodness. You know what you're saying. Here's what a girl said at a Chicago public school one time. She said, saving sexual activity for marriage is a great idea. I never thought about that before. That's what I want to do. Mm. Ding, 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 ding. This is a girl who represents a generation, not a generation mm-hmm. of young people that have rejected the absence message. Well, I mean, we've never heard this before. Mm-hmm. Like, how did you come up with this? <laughs> and, right. and uh, you know, where's your spaceship? I mean, it's, it's just so foreign to them that when they hear it, it's like, oh, my goodness, this makes so much sense. Yeah. Like, why, why have we because they've never heard it before. Look at this girl. She's saying, we, I never even thought of, not only never heard, I never even thought of that before. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing these things. And we get all kinds of letters and, and support from kids, young people, parents, teachers, young people. Thank you. We never, we never really learned this mm-hmm. before. So as our culture continues to go further and further over the falls, how necessary is it for us to remain anchored to the dock. We want to stay tied to the dock, not drifting away with the culture, but staying anchored and lifting up the truth with clarity for our culture that those kids can hang on and and learn what is good and beneficial. When I say kids, I'm talking middle school, high school, college age kids, all of them need to hear and learn this message. And my goal is always behavioral and apologetic. Behaviorally, I want kids to actually live this out, because if you live out these biblical principles, it's going to be good for you. It's just flat out going to be mm-hmm. good for you. Mm-hmm. You're going to not only avoid the, the hurt and pain of, of the world's way, 
but you're going to experience so the benefits and the joy of the abundant life uh, moving forward. So there's mm-hmm. benefits to living it out behaviorally, but also apologetically is very important. I want my young people to understand and uh, especially for college students, I would say I want you to understand apologetically, rationally, why this is uh, the biblical sexual ethic is fundamentally and objectively superior to the secular sexual ethic. And I want you to be able to clearly understand that and articulate that to your culture. You need to not cower in the corner as the weirdo. Rather, you need to stand up and lift up what is true and right and good. And you need to be an apologist clearly communicating to your generation why reserving all sexual activity for marriage has great benefits for them and why it's Mm -hmm. a superior way to live your life. Mm. So behavioral, apologetic, I want my young people to live it. I want them to know it. I want them to speak it. Mm. That's really well said. Thank you. Uh, And I think you've addressed another question I had, but I'm going to ask it just in case there's something you might uh, add to it. I want to ask, what do you think the biggest challenge facing students today is? And we've talked about the media. Maybe that's it, but maybe there's more. Yeah, well, the media, let's say, represents it. But yes, I would say the entire cultural, if you think about the it's the educational, it's the medical, it's the scientific, it's Mm -hmm. the media. All these different agencies, complexes are in lockstep against the biblical sexual ethic. I mean, it's just everywhere. Okay. And so, so you will, so when I talked about the, the contradicting the world, the way I set it up, when I, when I speak to students, I will say to them, listen, I'm here today. I'm going to be here all week. I'm going to be here this week talking to you about abstinence, which is choosing to save all sexual activity of the context of marriage. And as soon as I say that, you might be saying, what in the world are you talking about? Listen up. What I'm going to be saying this week is different than everything else you've probably ever heard. Mm. You're not going to see it in the media. It's not going to be on TV. It's not going to be in a magazine. It's not going to be on a billboard. It's nowhere. The things I'm teaching you this week are going to be very different than anything else. You're, and you may not hear it anywhere else. So listen up. Mm. Well, now I've got their attention. And mm. what I'm saying is true, that I am going to contradict everything else that's out there. I mean, you can read the American Medical Association. Mm-hmm. You can read... You know, congressional reports, you can read Centers for Disease Control, everybody right, right. Uh, is going to be in lockstep going against what we're teaching them. Sure. And that's the greatest challenge, is that the, uh, the biblical sexual ethic, the clear teaching of reserving all sexual activity for the context of marriage, has no support uh, in, in the culture. And so that, I think, is the greatest challenge, is helping mm-hmm. them understand that you've got to be willing to, you know, swim upstream mm-hmm. and uh, if you're going to live a God-honoring life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're talking about changes in culture, trends, shifts. You used the analogy of going over the waterfall earlier. How have you seen these, these trends over the years, uh, both the years you've been working on this Personally, and I'm sure you've done research that goes back, uh, I don't know, decades uh, before that might help us put our current situation in context. Okay. Uh, Yeah, boy, there's a lot there. Um, I would say over the years that we've been doing this, I've been doing this uh, over 20 years now, um, over the years that I've been doing this, it has changed sharply in the last few years. It's almost since the pandemic. It's like we went into mm. a deep sleep and came out of it in a whole different world. Really? Uh, up until up until very recently, the whole sex ed thing was, do you give them condoms and birth control or not? That was mm. kind of okay. it. You know, sex okay. ed was, here's all the different contraceptive methods that you could use. Now we've shifted to, Sex ed is now a whole SOGI thing. SOGI is sexual orientation, gender identity, right? So now there's so much more just in the last few years 
like we never really had to battle all of the, the the Soji stuff. Now that has become the front and center push of the sex ed movement mm. uh, and the hormones and the blockers, the transition and all of this is, is all very new and very different from what we've seen historically over the 20 years that I've been doing this. So uh, that's a, been a sharp shift that I've noticed in just the last uh, last couple of years. So, yeah, and then our work, we're not going to get into that. What we're going to focus in on is what is the true message, the healthy mm-hmm. message, the beneficial mm-hmm. message. Um, we're not saying uh, to students uh, that you must do this. We're simply saying that this is objectively superior and best. Um, you do whatever you want. Uh, I'm not telling you you can't have sex. I'm not telling you you can't have sex. You have sex with whoever you want. It doesn't, uh, it's not going to affect me in any way. What I'm trying to do is help you understand why choosing to reserve all sexual activity for the context of marriage is going to be good for you good for your spouse, good for your children, good for your culture, good for your community. I want you to understand why that's a really wise decision. What you choose is completely up to you. Because sometimes people, sometimes they'll come back and say, well, so you're saying what, if I can't get married, I can't, I'm not saying that. You do whatever you want. Right, right. You're saying I can't be with this person. I be with whoever you want. So I'm not going to argue you out of all the different possibilities. We will return to the show in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsor. Do you have a child, relative, or friend preparing for or attending college? What they need most are Christian professors who can help them learn to love God with their hearts and minds during these impressionable years. Global Scholars equips Christian professors to be there for them and walk with them during their years in college. Please visit www.global-scholars.org to learn how you can help equip Christian professors to show Christ's love on a campus near you and around the world. Please also check out the other podcast Stan and Dr. J.P. Moreland do together, Thinking Christianly. Whereas this college faith podcast focuses more on the practical questions of thriving during the college years, the Thinking Christianly podcast is all about the ideas that shape the university, students, our broader culture, and the world. Visit thinkingchristianly.org or download episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And now back to College Faith. So you've talked a lot about how you speak directly to students about this in these different contexts. A lot of the listeners are parents uh, for this podcast. So say a little more in particular how you might advise parents to tackle these topics as they they speak to their children. on this issue. Yes. Good. Well, so, so first of all, it's not a sex issue. It's a live your life for the glory of God issue. And I think the mm-hmm. conversation as a parent I want to be having with my young people is what does it mean to live my life for the glory of God? And, uh, I would encourage them to get our, uh, Excel workbook and get it online at successsequence.com. It's only $8. Uh, there's also an online learning course that they can do. Uh, if, if they're interested in that, where we walk them through the program with videos and page by page. Um, so they can get the online learning program or just the workbook. Um, but I would want to encourage them to, uh, you know, I go back to Deuteronomy chapter six, right? Where my responsibility as a parent is to be teaching my young people the word of God from their earliest days, right? As we walk along the path, as we sit in our home, that we are teaching them these things. What things? Deuteronomy chapter five, the law, the, the, the law of God which includes do not commit adultery, which is about the value of marriage and why that matters. And so it's really just a matter of Deuteronomy chapter six, being faithful to communicate God's values to my kids regularly as they're growing up. And as I'm doing that, um, it's going to uh, guide them in a very clear way. So for example, my Excel workbook is a conversation on the book of uh, Genesis on jo- uh, Genesis 37 through 50, the story of Joseph, which is a mm-hmm. beautiful narrative. That I would encourage parents to get and look through how you use that narrative to explain clearly these things. So for example, well, one of the things I love in that narrative, and there's a lot there. I mean, he starts off, you start off, Joseph is 17 years old. He's a teenager with a dream for his life, right? That God has put on his heart a dream for the future. Well, student, 
What's the dream God's laying on your heart? Where does God want to lead you? How are you going to spend your life living your life, serving the Lord and bringing him honor and glory in your life? Well, what, what is God laying on your heart? Talk that through a little bit. And then what I love is, so Joseph has this vision of God working through his life in a significant way in the future. And I hope you have that too. Um, as he's sort of moving down that path, uh, he ends up in a situation where there is very strong sexual temptation uh, that Potiphar's wife comes after him. And what I love about the narrative is he Joseph doesn't say to Potiphar's wife what so many of our kids are taught today. And that is, well, no, because you might get pregnant or no, I might get a sexually transmitted disease or, mm. you know, I'm not going to do this for all these different reasons. He says, no, we're not going to do this because you're married to somebody else. See, Joseph understood marriage as the standard, as the context. The reason mm -hmm. Joseph gives for not having sex with Potiphar's wife is he's not married to her. She's married to someone else. Mm -hmm. To have sex with her would be to violate the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. So, so which hasn't been given yet, but the, the principle is there, right? That sure. I'm, not, uh, I'm not married to you. And so, therefore, that's, see, that needs to be the basis for my decision. So as a young person, I'm saying the basis for your decision isn't, well, no, you because you could get someone pregnant, you could get pregnant, you could get a disease, you could have all these different consequences and issues. No, the reason is you're not married. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I want to help them understand. So the way I put it in the workbook, let me just read it to you. I have it here. It says, um, Joseph understood that marriage was a unique relationship created by God. Joseph understood that because he was not married, sexual activity was not an option. Knowing what to do when facing the kind of pressure that Joseph faced isn't as complicated and mysterious as the world makes it seem, with endless magazine articles on, quote, how to know when you're ready. The only question you need to ask is, am I married? If you can answer that question, you will know what to do. Mm. You see, I think it's beautiful. I think that scripture gives us a very clear picture of, of how we make these decisions. And the decision is very simply, you know, are you married? Are you not married? Now, I'm, I'm being, I'm kind of having fun with that, but I'm also just providing the kind of clarity that our kids need today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See, our kids are living in this very murky, gray, how do you know when you're ready? Are you really in love? Are you mature? Right. Are you right. old enough? Did you take our Cosmo 20 point quiz? <laughs> you know, and, and they're just, they're just so, you know, are you in love? None of that is helpful for our young people. What they need to understand is the beauty and benefit of reserving all sexual activity for the context of marriage. One of the illustrations that I like to use is fire in the fireplace or fire pit. You know, I like to go camping and my family, we've been to some of the great uh, campgrounds, Yellowstone, the Grand Tetons, Yosemite, all the different places. And we love to camp. And whenever we go camping, there's always a sign that says campfires in designated fire pit area only. Mm. Doesn't say you can't have a campfire. Nothing wrong with a campfire. That's why it's called a campfire. <laughs> it's part of the deal, right? Get out your mm -hmm. guitar, a little kumbaya, roast marshmallows, make some s'mores. It's part of camping is to have a campfire. But what? You can't just make a campfire anywhere. You'll burn the place down. Mm -hmm. No, you, if you're going to make a campfire, what we've done is we've dug down and we've put a circle of rocks around it. And now you make the campfire in the designated campfire pit. And you're going to have a wonderful camping experience. But if you try to make a campfire anywhere you want, you're going to start a forest fire. Great analogy. And marriage is the fire pit. Marriage is the fire pit. And so mm -hmm. when sex is reserved for the context of that fire pit, that, that marriage, it's safe, it's protected, it's healthy, it's God-honoring, it's God-designed. But if you're not going to have a fire pit, if you're just going to have sex with anybody, anywhere, anytime, you'll burn the place down. And we have right now in the United States of America, STD, sexually transmitted disease, at record levels year after year after year. Mm -hmm. We are living in a forest fire, which is a consequence of fire outside of the fireplace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. And the analogy is applicable not just to having sex with anybody anywhere, anytime, but having sex with somebody you're very committed to, that you're yep. serious about a uh, lifelong commitment with, that you uh, that you deeply love, but you still aren't married yet. So it's still, that's right. 
uh, you know, building a fire out there where there is uh, some leaves and whatever else that could start a forest fire, uh, even though you've got all the right intentions and it uh, it it's the person you do plan to spend the rest of your life with. It's the analogy yeah. still holds, right? That's right. No, absolutely does. And in fact, I would say uh, if I'm speaking to uh, Christian college young people, my my counsel would be beware of the cohabitation trap. Mm. Um, there is I can't tell you how many Christian parents I have spoken to who say to me, you know what? I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. You know, she was in church. She was in youth group. She went on the missions trip. She was in the choir. I mean, she, she was very involved in our church. Now she's living with her boyfriend. Um, I think what happened is we were never very intentional or clear to teach these things to our kids. And what is very sad is that so many Christian young people have not understood the uniqueness and the uh, importance of marriage as an institution, as a relationship. And so they moved into these cohabitating uh, situations thinking that that is a good pathway to future marriage when the opposite is in fact the case, that those who live in, uh, move in together and live together prior to marriage actually have higher rates of divorce than those who don't. Mm. That, that cohabitation turns out not to be a helpful pathway for marriage, but a harmful pathway toward marriage. Mm. Why do you and think that so, is? I mean, you've said some principles earlier that apply, but it, why yeah, in particular is that? Harmful. Well, there's a whole lot there. I would commend to you. My friend Glenn Stanton at Focus on the Family has a book called The Ring Makes All the Difference. It's mm. the hidden, the hidden uh, what's his subtitle? Something about the hidden consequences of cohabitation. Okay. And there are a whole host of them, uh, reasons why. And so, you know, if you look at cohabitors versus married people, you know, where are you going to find, for example, higher rates of infidelity in a cohabitating relationship or in a marriage relationship? You're going to find far, far higher rates of infidelity in a cohabiting relationship because that's the point, right? Uh, and so there's just a whole bunch of pitfalls with cohabitation that are in contrast to the benefits and the longevity of a marriage relationship. Yeah, I can certainly see the insecurity you'd have because your partner has not made that commitment to you either. And yeah. so yeah. It, it it is not the same type of relationship. Yeah. And why haven't they made that commitment? You know, yeah. it's right. Right. Still, Still looking, looking around. around. Absolutely. So, sure. yeah, it, it, it's highly problematic. And, and I want my young people to really understand the beauty and the value of marriage and why it is distinct and why it is is healthy and good. One of the books that I uh, reference regularly is uh, Maggie Gallagher's The Case for Marriage. And her subtitle is why married people are happier, healthier and better off financially. And mm. she's a researcher. Mm. She's okay. a researcher. It was a discovery process for her and her co-author, Linda Waite. Linda Waite, University of Chicago, Maggie Gallagher at the Institute for Marriage and Public Policy. And they got together and teamed up to do a whole bunch of research. And their book, The Case for Marriage, is just a compilation of research mm. in which they found. And what's, what's fascinating is what they found is you take two, two men, for example, same ethnicity, same age, same occupation, same everything. Same, 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 same. One guy's married, one guy's not. The married guy lives longer. He makes more. It's just all. And then they were like, why? Why is this happening? Hmm. And, and they just found a lot of reasons for why that when a man is married, that there's a motivating factor. To, there's a nurturing uh, desire to care for and provide for wife, family. Mm -hmm. for, it's a motivating factor that drives you. And so what they just found is they went through the research was that, again, consistently, uh, that they found that the, those who were married had significant benefits over those who weren't. And there's a whole, I mean, I could, that, that's a whole nother show is just to yeah, go over the, yeah. the, the objective sociological benefits of marriage. Well, I'll put those books in the show notes as well as uh, your curriculum. So that folks who want to go further yes, into excellent. this know how to find it. Good. Well, this has been so helpful. What else do you want to make sure is said uh, you've done so much on this. I know that we could talk forever, but is there, is there anything else you want to make sure we touch on before we wrap up? Yeah, let me, let me just say this. So I did notice you had a show, uh, earlier on LGBTQ. I think my, my concern is 
that we tend to be reactive more than proactive, Mm, that we tend to spend more time focusing on the the wrong way to do it than the right way to do it. That so much of our time and attention, like if 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 a youth group, just in my experience, if a youth group is going to do a talk on sex, it's typically on how to respond to like LGBT or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. And what we tend to do is we tend to respond and react to where the culture is, as opposed to focusing on what is the biblical truth Mm. that we should be striving toward. And so that's why I say our ministry is focused on that. Here Mm -hmm. is the clear, objective, biblical truth. I don't spend my time focused on the wrong way to do it. I spend my time focused on the right way to do it. I'm not saying there isn't a place for that. I'm just saying what I find is there's a tendency uh, for so much conversation. You look at podcasts or whatever, uh, radio shows on this. It it tends to be more on responding to where the Mm -hmm. culture is at as opposed to simply teaching the clear biblical guidance for our young people. So I want to make sure that in all the noise that's out there, that we give them a clear message on the beauty and the value of reserving all sexual activity for the context of marriage and not something like marriage. There is nothing like marriage. It's not wait until you're older, wait until you're in love, wait until you're long-term committed, mutual monogamous relationship, none of that. Right. It's wait until you're married. It's wait until you're married. And here's why. Again, you don't have to do that, but you should learn why that's good. Right. And then you do whatever, you know, whatever you want to do. Good. Anything else? No, I think that's good. I think uh, I appreciate your appreciate your podcast. I appreciate your show. Uh, I mean, sure, we could go on and on, but I think we've hit the the, the key things. I, I would direct your your listeners to uh, get some of our curriculum if they want more mm-hmm. guidance or they can reach out to us through our website. Uh, our primary website is ampartnership.org, ampartnership.org. And if they want the curriculum, particularly that website is successsequence.com, successsequence.com. And Excel is the uh, Christian presentation of the program. So they can get to the curriculum through the AM partnership as well. They right? can still click through. Sure. Yeah. Got it. Yep. Good. Well, Scott, thanks for your time. This is so helpful. I know, uh, so many of the folks that I talk to are asking these questions all the time. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, thanks for the time you spent to investigate and uh, figure out how to communicate these things so well. And uh, it's just been a real, uh, real joy for me to get a chance to, to visit with you a little bit. Excellent. Well, thank you. And thank you for your good work. Really appreciate it. That brings us to the end of this edition of the College Faith Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation at the intersection of Christian conviction and higher education. Be sure to check out today's show notes at collegefaith.net slash podcasts, where you can find more information and links to the resources we discussed. If you found this podcast helpful, please help spread the word by liking my College Faith Facebook page at facebook.com slash collegefaith and pass this show on to others who may enjoy hearing our conversation. Please do visit our sponsor, Global Scholars, to help equip Christian professors to be salt and light for Christ on their campuses. Until next time, this is Stan Wallace encouraging you to love the Lord your God with both heart and mind during the university years and beyond.